You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. And how is everybody doing? We are so glad that you're here. Man, we have a great weekend planned for you. I've been out. I've been out all week uh, for the last week and a half or so because my wife and I were celebrating 25 years of holy matrimony. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. And the worst part was coming back home and because uh, I could just get used to that. I, I could, I've told my wife, like, if I was single, I would just live in a hotel. Like, I just love the idea of, like, I just throw stuff on the floor. I go do things. I come back. Everything's picked up, and there's no questions asked. I do that now. I have problems. And so, anyway, and plus, I'm usually the one picking the stuff up off the floor. And, uh, but anyway, we have uh, a lot of uh, fun planned uh, this, uh, this day. This day? Today? That's how we'll say it, today. But, yeah, so, anyway, um, so, how you guys doing? Are you good? Anyway, um, <laughs> I had all these things planned in my head, and now I'm just, I'm still in, on vacation, basically, um, at least until tomorrow. But um, anyway, we have a great uh, speaker that's, gonna, that's here with us uh, today, that's going to be with us this afternoon, and going to be with us in September at our couples retreat, which, by the way, is quickly... You know, we've sold out our couples retreat, I think, the last three or four years running. And every time we sell it out, it sells out earlier. And I was just having a conversation earlier that we think probably within the next three, four, five weeks, it's going to sell out again. And we've never sold it out this early. So anyway, that is a little... Well, yeah, thank you. That really says more about you than it does about me. But I appreciate the applause uh, because you're like, hey, we take, our, we take our marriage and our relationship seriously and we want to invest... Uh, in our in our relationship. So, but anyway, but the cool thing is, is that uh, we've had we had Pastor Ted last year at the retreat, and he was kind enough to come back this year. And he was, uh, we said, hey, why don't you come uh, on a Sunday and just you know let the people know uh, who you are that that haven't been. And I know that sometimes weird, like yeah, I'd like to go to the retreat, but who's speaking? And my wife and I are going to be uh, there as well. We'll be there Sunday, but um, you'll be able to hear Pastor Ted on. Uh, Friday and Saturday. And just if you're not aware, uh, Pastor Ted is the pastor of uh, Woodland Hills Family Church. That's in Branson, Missouri. He just celebrated his 25th anniversary with uh, his wife, Amy, which is amazing. And um, they have two kids, and you're going to hear all about them in the message. He's written four books. And uh, if you're up close, you may be able to get one because he's going to be th- chucking them at people here in a minute. And, uh, and he is a comedian on the date night comedy tour, which is what you're going to be seeing uh, tonight if you come back at uh, 4 p.m. for we do, it's comedy night, but it's really like comedy mid-afternoon. So, but anyway, why don't you give a warm Calvary welcome to Pastor Ted Cunningham. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> All right. This will be my first time ever doing a date night on Super Bowl Sunday. Who thinks it's cruel for a church to have a date night on Super Bowl Sunday? Raise your hand. Okay. It's going to be before kickoff, so you can be here and you'll be fine. I come bearing gifts for those who haven't gotten their Valentine's gifts yet. If you say, my husband has an unbelievable, one of the best senses of humor you'll ever hear. He's the best at telling jokes. Would you raise your hand? 
And that's sad. There's, there's more guys going, you could raise your hand right now. How many of you say your husband needs some work on the jokes? All right, you would say that? You'd say that? Okay, so I'm going to give you a love that laughs. This is what we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about it uh, this morning, but it's on finding your shared sense of humor as a couple. And I wrote it. I, I brought it out two weeks before the global pandemic hit in March of 2020. And I'm going to recommend if you ever want to write a book on humor and laughter, release it two weeks before a global pandemic. Uh, <laughs> I've sold like 30 copies of this thing, so you're getting like the 31st copy. Swing by the book table afterwards and pick it up. And uh, you want, can I give you my favorite joke out of this book? And uh, I'll give it to you, and I won't, so I won't give it tonight. But when I was writing chapter three on finding your shared sense of humor, uh, I was at Panera Bread writing it, and I meet with this 88-year-old widow in our church named Pat Kershaw. At the time, she was 86. Uh, she's a retired missionary. She was a missionary for 60 years with International Students Incorporated. And Pat sits down in front of me while I'm writing chapter three, helping couples find their shared sense of humor. And she says, what are you writing? I said, well, I'm trying to help couples, you know, learn to, to look for funny rather than trying to be funny. Stop trying to be funny. Guys, this is, this is going to be, are you writing this down? You're not even taking notes. Write this down. Okay, write this down. Stop trying to be funny and look for funny. Funny is all around you. You just have to call it out. And I go, Pat, have you seen anything funny lately? And she goes, I saw it just yesterday while getting my mammogram up in Springfield. Everybody's like, Ted, we have small children in the room. Where are you going with this? It's not, listen, every pastor needs a good mammogram story from one of their senior members. And so I said, Pat, what was funny about your mammogram? She goes, well, you know, it was at Mercy Hospital. It's a Catholic hospital. They got verses, Bible verses all up and down the hallway. Ted, what verse do you think they have hanging on the mammogram machine at Mercy Hospital? I said, I, I have absolutely no idea. She said, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, for we are hard pressed on every side. <laughs> but not crushed. Okay, so that's the whole verse. And Pastor Bob would tell you that is a verse out of context. Can I get an amen on there? That is not a verse in context. So anyway, I hope you and your husband enjoy this book. And, and you could work on your sense of humor as well, right? Yeah, see, it's not, ju it's not just the guy. Okay, and then is there anybody here married over 50 years? We'll find out who's, tonight. anybody over 40 years? Okay, how long have you been married? 40? 42. Anybody beat 42 years of marriage? All right, I'm going to give you fun loving you, enjoying your marriage in the midst of the grind. It's got a couple jumping up and down on a trampoline. And if you'll commit to finding a trampoline somewhere in your neighborhood, just find one in a backyard somewhere, okay, and jump up and down, stop by the book table and pick that up. I want to talk to singles, marrieds, and parents today. As we talk about leaving home, leaving home well. If I'm talking to the young people, I need you to know you will not be with mom and dad forever, so plan accordingly. Yes, they may have a basement, it's just not yours forever. You will need to leave. The bond between a husband and a wife is to be stronger than the bond between a parent and a child. They're not raising you to keep you, they're raising you to send you. Mom and dad will look at what that means and how you can do that even after your children leave home and once they get married. But we also wanna to talk to couples and how you can experience high levels of marital satisfaction uh, after you leave home, become one husband and wife, and make sure you have a healthy setup with your parents. Does anybody here have parents that ever meddle a little bit? Don't raise your hand on that one. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. How do you stay gone from home? If you leave physically, relationally, emotionally, Financially, parents always amen on the financially part. Financially, and if necessary, geographically. How do you do that even after years being out of the home? So here's what I want to do to start. I'm going to give you five scenarios. 
And I want this for married couples. I want you to raise your hand if this is something you identify with as a couple. Okay, here's the first scenario. We were mature when we married. If that's true of you, would you raise your hand? There's always just, just very few. It's because you started work when you were four, right? Whenever I'm in Iowa, I'm like, those are the farmers raising their hands right now. The mom and dad made them work at an early age, so they get responsibility. Now watch how many raise their hand on this next one. Second scenario, we were immature when we married, but we grew up together. Look around the room. This is why I encourage young marriage. I believe you can get married in your early 20s. It's not a problem because you can get married and grow up together. So you got married and you grew up together. Now, do not, do not raise your hand on this next scenario, okay? We were immature when we married. I grew up and my spouse did not. I said, don't raise your hand. And he said, oh, you were at the retreat. You know, anyway, you can raise your hand on this fourth one. We were immature when we married. My spouse grew up and I did not. Yeah, see, that, to me, that's a statement of maturity right there. You can recognize that and understand that. Now watch, there'll be a couple hands at almost any event that goes up when I ask. We were immature when we married and we still are. Anybody? Any, okay, good. That's good. One. I always love when it's one or the other one. Do you want me to raise my hand right now? I don't know. What are we supposed to do? It feels like a trap. If I can, this in the first service, I, I started, I, I went there in the first service. I'm like, I, I cover eight marriage and family trends because how many of you can say amen to the fact the culture has way too many voices coming at us when it comes to marriage and family? And you know what's sad for me as a pastor is to watch believers in Christ Jesus who are committed to the word of God, faithful in their biblical community, in their local church, who are starting to listen to those voices. Oh, it's so sad to me. And I cover eight of them, but for the sake of this morning, and not for the sake of time, just for the sake of I don't want to depress you, but I want to cover four, the first four that I normally cover, marriage and family trends, and they'll be on the screen. And the first one is the kid-centered home. The kid-centered home, it started around the early 80s. And in the 80s, parents became more nurturing, right? I grew up from parents who heard from their parents, right? World War II parents. They heard from their parents, I didn't have it, you don't need it. But then in the 80s, what did parents start saying? I didn't have it, so I'm going to make sure you get it. Disney World, and now this doesn't work really in Florida, but when I'm in other parts of the country, you know, Disney, Disney World, Disneyland used to be a lifetime achievement. You went once in your lifetime, you were at the top of the list. Now it's like, how many times are we going this year? <laughs> that doesn't work in Florida as well. But when you're in Missouri and it takes quite a bit of travel to get there, let me tell you, we became over-nurturing, over-praising, over-indulging. We gave our kids everything. And what, what happened was that led to the second trend, which is prolonged adolescence. Now, in 1904, we created a term called adolescence. It's the gap between childhood and adulthood. But if you study the scripture, and if you look at this historically, there have really only been two seasons of life, childhood and adulthood. You went from being a boy to being a man. You went from being a girl to being a woman. But now, in 1904, we created a gap between childhood and adulthood. And I don't argue against adolescence because when I go to Christian counseling conferences, my counseling friends come at my throat when I talk about adolescence. But with every breath I have in me, I'm going to argue against prolonged adolescence because the gap between childhood and adulthood is growing larger and larger and larger and larger. A good definition of this trend would be prolonged adolescence is too much privilege, not enough responsibility. 
And one of the things we get to talk about today is how do we invite young people to step up? And I love saying this to young people who are, who are timid about launching, timid about taking a job, timid about leaving the home and going to college. I love just looking at them and saying, you got this. You got this. You can do this. There's not enough voices in our culture today telling you, you got this. Parents are saying, whoa, 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 slow it down. Whoa, 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 there's, there's no need to rush. Prolonged adolescence, too much privilege, not enough responsibility, has led to the third one, which is delayed marriage. You know, for generations, where's 42 years of marriage, right? 42 years of marriage. Marriage was a cornerstone. You would get married and then build something together. But now what we've done is we've turned marriage, instead of a cornerstone, it's a capstone. We say, do all this other stuff in life, and when you complete it, then get married. And it's led to this fourth trend that we see in relationship formation And I want to encourage young people to really study this because there's power in decisions. And if you want a healthy relationship, informing one and having a lifelong one in marriage, it starts with the power of decision. But today, a lot of people are drifting past the traditional relationship formation milestones for fear of getting hurt. But I want to encourage you to not, as Dr. Scott Stanley from the University of Denver describes it in his blog, Sliding Versus Deciding, to not just slide and drift your way through relationship formation. Choose, decide, because decisions have power. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to look at what Jesus teaches about the Imago Day in men, women, and marriage. The Imago Dei, it is the foundational doctrine. I love talking about the image of God in men and women. You know why? Because it means every single person in here, every single person you lock eyes with today, every single human being upon this earth is an image bearer of Almighty God. And because they're an image bearer of Almighty God, they have automatic, intrinsic, high value high value. And Jesus is going to go back to the Imago Dei when he's asked a question about divorce. Now, the Pharisees were always trying to test Jesus, trap Jesus, and they bring to him tradition. What I love about this text, and I want us to really break this text down carefully today, Jesus doesn't address the tradition. He doesn't, he doesn't go right at the tradition. He starts with scripture. He starts the conversation with scripture and with the Imago Dei, the foundational doctrine. And we learn so much about how to form healthy marriages and how to launch. And we even learn in this text how to parent, how to parent well. In chapter 19, verse 3 of Matthew, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There were a couple different traditions in that day. One said you can only divorce uh, for marital unfaithfulness, and the other one said you can divorce for trivial reasons. You can put your wife away for any and every reason. And there, that's the, you can tell that's where this question is leaning. Jesus, what do you say about this? Jesus answers, and look at verse 4. Haven't you read? Let's start right there. Haven't you read, he says. He's going to go straight to scripture, not the tradition. We have something in our home called the USBUS that we've taught with our kids for years. I'm going to have them put it up on the screen so you can see it, and then we'll come back to Matthew 19. We've said in our home, and when our kids leave our home, we want to make sure scripture is always driving the bus. There's a lot of other passengers on the bus, but we just don't want them to be the driver because ultimately the driver determines where you end up. 
Before you decide what you believe about marriage and family, decide how you're going to get there. And I want to encourage every young person in here, every mom and dad, husband and wife in here, every grandma and grandpa in here to keep scripture in the driver's seat. And you notice when Jesus begins answering the Pharisees and answering their questions, he has scripture in the driver's seat because he says, haven't you read? He puts tradition, traditions over in the passenger seat. And at our church in Branson, we make sure people know we're all for tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong. We, we lean into, I lean into every week, the collective wisdom of denominational leaders or, or the church fathers, but, but I don't let it drive the bus. It influences us, but it doesn't drive the bus. Behind that is reason, my mind's ability to work through things. Next to that is experience, and everybody in here has a story. Your story is valid. What happened to you happened to you. I can't deny your story, but here's where we have to be careful. I cannot allow your story to become my authority. I see it happen all the time. Something I see the young people shying away from marriage today because of what happened to their mom and dad. Just because it happened to your mom and dad doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. You can't put experience in the driver's seat. And then in the back seat, we have emotion. And emotion is definitely an influencer of all of us. My friend Ryan Pinnell is a licensed marriage and family therapist with folks on the family. I love what he says about emotions. Emotions are like our children. We should listen to them. We should care for them. We just should never allow them to make major decisions for our family. Isn't that true? When I counsel couples in crisis or when I coach a couple in crisis, can I tell you, they are driving that bus into the office with emotions in the driver's seat. Emotions are driving the bus. And when emotions drive the bus, I don't know if you've noticed this. You've probably had conversations with family members where emotions drive everything about their life. Emotions driving the bus and making their major life decisions. They kick all the other passengers off. Jesus says, haven't you read? Can I encourage you? In this day and age where marriage is being redefined and, and we're making decisions on it in culture and people are pressuring believers in Christ to move away from the scripture, when we talk marriage and family, keep scripture in the driver's seat. I see too many pastors today changing what they believe about marriage and family, changing what the scripture says about marriage and family. You know why? Because of an experience, because of something that happened with one of their children. And they put their children's uh, experiences in the driver's seat. And I'll have people come to me and say, why is it what this pastor is saying sounds so good? I go, you know why it sounds good, but it is not true? It's because they took the experience from their family, they put it in the driver's seat, they put scripture over in the passenger seat. Scripture is still in the front seat for this pastor, but make no mistake, it's no longer driving the bus. We want scripture driving the bus as we determine the rest of this. That's where the rest of this flows from. What does Jesus say? He's gonna go to the scripture, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and give us the outline. He says that at the beginning, so at the foundations of the earth, the foundation for marriage and family, it was laid. The creator, this is God's design and plan that we're talking about today. This is something he invites us into. He's not asking for us to help him figure it out and redefine it and plan it. He's the creator at the beginning laid the foundation of everything we're talking about, made them male and female, Genesis 1, 27. And if there's one verse right now getting me in more trouble around the country, it's this verse because I believe clearly that teaching your children 
to embrace their biological sex and marry the opposite sex honors the image of God in men, women, and marriage. And there may be people watching. There may be people in here. You, you can push back on me, but I, I'll take that. That's a, I can let that go. But you need to wrestle with what the scripture says and what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is going back to the scripture and saying, let's go to the Imago Dei. What was set up at the beginning? Because it's still God's plan for marriage. He made them male and female. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It's between a husband and a wife. And then Genesis 2.24, and boy, do I love this verse. Verse 5, he quotes Genesis 2.24. He made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Let's look at the word man, and let's look at the word leave for just a second. You notice it doesn't say, for this reason, a child will leave mom and dad. It doesn't say an adolescent will leave mom and dad. It says a man will leave his father and mother. If I can just share some parenting nuggets in this text it's the job of parents to make sure children leave home as adults not on a journey to become one it is not the job of a college professor or a first boss to turn our children into adults that's mom and dad's job i get to prepare my children to leave home ready for that responsibility but here's what we're doing as parents we like to create environments for our children to succeed rather than teaching them to succeed in environments they can't control Zero to 10 years old, you know what we do? We accelerate the childhood milestones. What we tell our, we train our zero to 10, for the first 10 years of our child's life, we tell them, go, 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 run, 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 faster, faster, faster. We start their professional sports career around age four. And I know what state I'm in. I say the same thing when I'm in Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, you lock them in. This is your sport. We need scholarships, right? You're going to the NFL. You're going to the NBA. Mom and dad, if I could just say in the name of Jesus, pipe it down a little bit. <laughs> Let your child be a child. And you know what's so important about being a child? Discovery. They need to discover. They need to discover who they are, what they've been created in Christ Jesus to do. Like walk alongside them and help them discover that rather than locking them in. Teach them commitment. Yes, they should commit, but maybe take commitment season to season rather than lifetime. But this is what we do. We accelerate childhood milestones, and we say, go, 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 run, 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 faster, faster, faster. And then at 11, 12, 13 years old, engines in them, placed there by Almighty God, kick in. And a lot of times, parents label it rebellion. And yeah, it can be rebellion. But most of the time, I see a parent going, she's wanting to pick her own friends. She's wanting to pick her own clothes. She's talked about moving out and getting an apartment at 13. <laughs> she's done with our rules. You know what she's doing? I argue from the scripture, that child of yours is becoming an adult. Our culture today calls it adolescence, but they're backing away from mom and dad wanting to make their own decisions. And as soon as mom and dad experience that or feel that, we move from accelerating childhood milestones to delaying adulthood milestones. We look at them and go, you cannot have a full-time job. You're only 27 and a half. I need you to bring this down a little bit. Don't jump on this thing. The five milestones of adulthood have been the same pretty much in every generation. Leave home, finish school, get a job, get married, start a family. So leave home, what we're talking about. Finish school, get a job, get married, start a family. 42 years of marriage. Those were your five milestones. It was your parents' and grandparents' milestones. It was my milestones. The kids I'm raising, it's their milestones. The difference between 
my generation and your generation is your parents completed those milestones in a very short period of time, if not in the same week. Like it was fast. It was moving. Prolonged adolescence says, let's slow it down. And you can only do one at a time. And we even have parents that'll use this term. You need to go learn how to be independent. We send them out of the kid-centered home. We spent 18 years centering the home on our children. We send them out of the home and we say, go live by yourself and for yourself for another 10 years. And we say, go learn how to be independent. And I submit to you that in a lot of cases, independence has become a socially acceptable term for selfishness. It says a man, and let's look at the next word, will leave. How do you leave home? Wow, let's have some fun with this. You leave home physically, right? You leave home physically. We get that part. I'm no longer living under their roof. But you also leave home relationally and emotionally. You know what that means? When you get married, your spouse is your new priority relationship, not your parent. Your spouse, not your parent. What does that look like practically? When you have a bad day at work and you're driving home, you don't call your mom and dad. Your first phone call is your spouse. I had a mom come up to me at a wedding. She was so mad. She walked up to me and she goes, how dare you? <laughs> what? She goes, how dare you tell my son to stop loving his mother? <laughs> you don't know me all that well, many of you. Do you think I actually sat down in premarital counseling with a young man and go, hey, I know this thing. Your mom brought you into the world and everything. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> it's over. Uh, <laughs> you need to hate her starting today. <laughs> Do you think I said that? I didn't say that. You know, what I, you, know how, you know what she heard and interpreted into that, stop loving your mom? I told her, son, you can no longer call your mom five times a day. And their mom's in here going, oh, I like the message right up until this point right here. <laughs> I hate him. And I I'm, I'm, want my refund on the ticket tonight at comedy night. <laughs> if he's going to be this obstinate, no. You have to have a priority. You leave home physically, relationally, emotionally. Watch what parents say when I say this. You also leave home financially. Amen. That's usually what parents say. And if none of those work, you leave home geographically. But you have to leave home. Why? I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as parents today, and I can, this is preaching to me right now. One of the biggest mistakes we make as parents today is treating our children like children right up until the very moment we expect them to be adults. Parenting is a journey from control to influence. Who here has toddlers or infants? Can I just see your hands? You got small, small children, small children? It's the most control you'll ever have. With every year of their life, you're losing control. But hopefully, you're replacing it with influence. The mistake is to treat them like a child up until the age 18 or the age 21. We've all seen this. Maybe you were at college or at a job and someone gets out of the house and they have all of this freedom all of a sudden and they don't have a clue what to do with it. They lose their minds with it because they were controlled, controlled, controlled. Mom and dad, as hard as this is, as you feel your child moving into what culture calls adolescence, as they begin individualizing and separating, that's when we begin to focus on responsibility, moving them toward the responsibility necessary for work and relationships. How do you do that? The next point, our children are a welcomed addition to the home, but not the center of it. This should be one of those cutesy Joanna Gaines plaques uh, up above. But I've told my kids since they were very young, we love you, you're a welcomed addition to this home, but you're not the center of it. We love you, you're a welcomed addition to this home, you're not the center of it, your mom and I, we got big plans after you leave. 
when they were young, they'd smart off and they'd be like, well, what are you gonna do? Well, first of all, we're going to Disney World. That's how we're gonna kick the whole thing off. We're treating ourselves with a big vacation. A welcomed addition to the home, but they are not the center of it. Guys, you want a great Valentine's Day? Stand your wife up and declare her the queen. Have a coronation service for your wife. Set all the kids down on the... I got another book for that if you want that. I'm going to give that to you for your husband. <laughs> are you coming tonight? Good. I, we'll get you a ticket. Uh, pastor just committed to giving you a free ticket. Uh, my daughter was five years old. She was taking over the home. And I'll never forget, man, it was wearing me out. Five years old. It's like, uh-uh, our firstborn. I put her on the breakfast bar, and I said, there's only one queen in this house, Corinne, and you ain't her. She looked at me with those eyes and said, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> You're a big talker. Told my wife the next day, there's room enough in this house for two queens. <laughs> and I said, you're not my queen, but you're my princess. And one day I'm going to walk you down an aisle to give you a way to become another man's queen. And I'm actually going to do that on May 31st with my daughter, Corinne. <laughs> as I've had a joke for years. <laughs> it's been super awkward as of lately, but I go one day, and I told Corinne, one day I'm going to stand at the back of a church with you looking down the aisle at some pervert. <laughs> no. Now he's got a name. I can't use that joke uh, anymore. There's actually a person with that. That joke works for about the last 15 years. Um, you have to leave, and leave well. Young people, I, I teach this at college campuses, at gap year programs. Uh, there's one gap year program I go to, and for three days, I talk about prolonged adolescence and how to leave home well. And the whole emphasis is how to leave home with honor. Yes, you stop obeying mom and dad, but you never, ever stop honoring mom and dad. Esteeming them as highly valuable. Leave your father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. I'm not going to get into that too much this morning, but one flesh is exactly what you think it means. One flesh is not just male and female. No. That's not what Jesus is speaking of when he quotes Genesis 2.24. It's husband and wife. It's husband and wife, naked in the marriage bed, physically, vulnerable and safe. Vulnerable and safe, but it's not just physical intimacy. It's also outside of the bedroom. See, the marriage bed is just a barometer of the relationship. If there's a problem in the marriage bed, I can tell you you got about a 90% shot of it have being an issue in the marriage. And that's why with one flesh, let me just say it as clearly as I can, you can't be a harsh, belittling, controlling spouse by day and a gentle, tender, kind lover by night. It's the bedroom and the daytime, it matches. The physical, emotional, relational, spiritual oneness, one flesh, side by side, walking through the grind of life. Jesus ends by saying, they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jeff Graham says, as we close out our time, I want to take you to a wedding for just a little bit. He says, whether in marriage, guitar, or tennis, one can certainly become decent without guidance. But the novice's likelihood of sticking with it, advancing to intermediate, and then developing into a pro goes way up with great coaching and deliberate practice. And that's what I love about 
marriage and family coaching and marriage and family counseling, marriage and family messages, even the content that will find its way in tonight at Comedy Night is encouraging people in marriages and in families, singles, to enjoy life in the midst of the grind. I love doing weddings. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, bride walks down the aisle. I say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her, her mother and I, and dad sits down, and then I look to the gathered family and friends and say, this works in Branson, Miami. You're going to have to find something, word picture that works in this area, but I'm in country music capital of the United States of America. So here's how we say it. Every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. And our church, just like Calvary, desires to be a great backup singer to your duet. That's what, that's what we seek. And, and I, I tell gathered family and friends at a wedding, you've been invited here today as a, a wedding guest, but it's far more than that. This couple, I've asked their permission, and they give me permission to invite you today to be a part of their marriage, not just their wedding. This couple here, this was a, a wedding I did a couple of years ago, but I, at the, as I'm doing the every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers and going back and forth with that for a little bit, I go, hey, at the end of the wedding, there's going to be an opportunity for you to cheer three times. And I always say, let's practice it like your you know, favorite team just won the Super Bowl. And, and I go, at the end, when I go, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I'll do it. And I'll go like that. You may kiss the bride. It's an honor for me to be the first to introduce to you, Mr. and Mrs. But right before that big moment, after the vows and rings have been exchanged, after the message, after the welcoming and all of that, I invite family and friends to gather around the bride and groom to lay hands on them and to speak a blessing over them. Where do we get this? Every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. It comes from this great book in the Song of Solomon. Uh, where you got Solomon and the Shulamite woman. That's the duet. They're singing these beautiful lyrics back and forth to one another. Chapters one and two, they're dating, they're courting. In chapter three, they get married. In chapter four, they have a honeymoon. In chapters five through eight, they're building into faithfulness and commitment into marriage. But the backup singers in that book are the daughters of Jerusalem. And every time you see them, they're great backup singers. They're advocating. And actually, I, I in chapter one, I love this because I'm, I'm passionate about helping singles and young budding love in dating and engagement. But here's what they say to this forming duet. The daughters of Jerusalem as backup singers say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Who is surrounding your duet right now, rejoicing and delighting and praising your love? If you can name that together as a couple, I just want to encourage you leaving here that you turn it way up. Turn that person way up. But then there are some bad backup singers that I know a lot of couples have. You have a bad backup singer at work. You know who that jaded coworker is that you go to when you want to vent. You know the jaded family member that you go to that's a bad backup singer. I'm going to invite you today to turn them down or mute them all together. Why? Because the quality of your marriage depends a lot on the quality of your friends and family speaking into it. And that's why Calvary's giving this whole day to talking about it. Calvary desires to be a great backup singer. It's growth groups here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're in a growth group, but if you're not in a growth group, you need to get in a growth group. And the reason I want to encourage you to do that, if you have a hard time finding backup singers, growth groups are the greatest places to find them. I've made the decision in our growth group they're called life groups, home groups at our church, that I'm never going to be the oldest person in the group. I always want an older person in the group who's been through seasons and stages of life that I've never been through. 
that I can lean into and hear. And I don't know if you've been, but here's the power of small groups. Amy and I having a rough day. Maybe we're eh, 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 on each other. We go to small group. We hear the other couples talk and share their story. We get out in the car afterwards and we're like, wow. At least we're not as jacked up as those other couples that are in there. Man, what a mess. Did you hear what he said to her? That's called biblical community. You're discovering other stories. Who are your backup singers? Who's speaking into your marriage right now? I know we've talked a lot. I want to just share with the mother-in-law and father-in-law for a second. Your children have left home. Raise your hand if you're a mother-in-law or a father-in-law. Let me just see the hands. Okay. You have responsibility. You can be a great, you can be a phenomenal backup singer to your child's duet. You know how you do it? You advocate for your child's marriage, not just your child. Ah, you want to talk about sabotaging marriage after marriage after marriage. I see it all the time in counseling. Her mother, his dad is all, listen, mom and dad, rejoice, delight, praise the love of your child's marriage. Find every way you can to be a blessing and keep that duet in harmony. Bad backup singers say things like, shouldn't have to put up with this. You've tried everything. He's changed. She's changed. I just want you to be happy. No, find the ones that are rejoicing and delighting and praising who said, I was there the day you stood before God and gathered witnesses and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. We say it a little bit different. We say it a little bit different at our church. We say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until the Lord returns or calls one of us home. We're two becoming one. And I felt compelled to add this, especially when I'm at a church on a Sunday morning. The Institute of Family Studies did great research, and they're out of the University of Virginia. Brad Wilcox, him and his whole group do a phenomenal job. But I want to end with a stat. I typically don't end with stats, but I think it's important in the the time that we're in and what we've dealt with the last two years. 78% of couples who regularly attend church say they are very happy or extremely happy in their marriage. I just want to encourage those watching. I know some of you are watching because we're at the tail end of a surge still. I just want to encourage you, if you're staying home to be safe, I get that. But if you're staying home out of habit, I just want to encourage you, make your plan to return face-to-face with other believers. Why? Because you need great backup singers. You need people that are coming alongside you, rejoicing and delighting and praising your love. You're like, I'm still, it's not time, it's not time. Okay, if it's not time, make your plan. Commit to, make the decision because decisions have power. Grateful for this church being a good backup singer and desiring to be a backup singer. I'm looking forward to being back this afternoon and encouraging you Uh, through laughter, would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of Jesus that I pray for every couple right now in crisis. I pray a blessing over their marriage that they would work through whatever issue they believe is bringing their marriage to an end or to this place of crisis. And by working through, if they can't do it individually or alone, that they would seek help from church leaders, from groups that can gather around them and rejoice and delight and praise their love. For the young people in the room who desire relationship, but again, the culture is saying it can be just physical. It doesn't need to be on the relational or spiritual level that today they're making commitments 
to what oneness in marriage means and what honoring marriage and keeping the marriage bed pure means that they're making that commitment before you today. This marriage is your idea, your creation, your design. You have invited us into it and we step into it. As husbands and wives, as moms and dads, as singles, I pray for every single in here that marriage may be far off for them, but that they would rejoice and delight and praise the love of the duets all around them. They can be great backup singers in this season of life that you have them in. For the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would call out, that they would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. And we know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can raise a dead marriage. We pray for those marriages today. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.